Well, good morning, Tekoa Church. I'm glad to be with you today. It's been a great series so far as we have jumped into this question of what would Jesus undo? Excited for another week of this series. Bear with me. If you're new here, my voice doesn't always sound like this. Um, I've been almost through struggling with some sort of cold this week. Thankfully, it was only a cold, though. So, never thought I would say that, but now here we are in 2022. So, thankfully, it was only a cold, but I'm excited. It's been a good series as we've looked at what would Jesus undo. Week one, we looked at him undoing indifference. Week two, we looked at undoing hollow worship, and I think that was just really central um, even for us as a church. Last week, Pastor Lauren did a great job sharing on how Jesus would undo performance in our lives. And this week, Jesus would undo spiritual pride. I'm jumping right in, no long intro this week. Jesus would undo spiritual pride. And he would undo, right, spiritual pride where we would find value in ourselves, meaning in ourselves, in what we accomplish, and how we compare to others rather than how we compare to God or how God sees us and our relationship with Him. That is what is central, not about us. It doesn't start with us, it starts with God. It doesn't start with others, it starts with God. So pride, right? Pride comes, it's everybody's favorite message. We all like to think about, we don't like to think about how we're prideful, at least if you're like me. But pride, right? It's, we have the saying, pride comes before the Thank you. One person. Pride comes before the fall. The rest of you, there's coffee in the coffee lounge. Um, But pride comes before the fall. And we've all been there, right? We've all experienced it. But Jesus would undo spiritual pride in our lives because he doesn't want us to experience the fall. He says, I got a a way out of that so you don't need to experience the fall. So we're going to look at that story, a story that he told in Luke chapter 18 today is where we're going to be located. And he tells this story, Jesus, of two guys who go to the same place for the same purpose. And we have these two guys. He sets up the story. We're going to see it. One guy is a Pharisee. He's like the religious leader of the day. He's basically the pastor of the day going to the temple, which is the church. Um, And he goes there to encounter, right, the the temple hosts the visible presence of God. So he goes there to worship in order to pray to God. And Jesus tells us what these two men pray. And he says, one of the men leaves right before God, and one of them doesn't, but in typical Jesus fashion, it's not going to be the one that we think. So we have Jesus, we have, or sorry, we have the Pharisee, we have the um, other guy here, and it says, we're going to pick it up in Luke chapter 18, beginning in verse 9, where it says this, and he, being Jesus, told this parable or a story that was intended to teach, not to everybody, but to some people. Who did he tell it to? He told it to some people who trusted in themselves. Basically, he told it to some people that were struggling with pride. They hoped in themselves. They put their fate, their future in themselves. Why? It says because they viewed themselves as righteous. They do the right things. Righteousness says I'm right before God. And they viewed others then, like the tax collector that's going to come up, with contempt. And your relationship with God cannot be separated from your relationship with others. And we're going to talk about both of those relationships today, but right, the vertical always impacts the horizontal. And what I want to talk about today is how to get that vertical relationship right. And if you get that right, it's going to impact your other relationship. That's the fruit of the relationship with God and how we in, interact with other people and whether we have pride or humility is going to change the way that we interact with others. So go ahead and put up the next slide, the next verse, sorry. It says, two men went up into the temple to pray. One a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. So they went up. You have the Pharisee, he's the good guy in the story, right? He's the religious leader. 
and he was respected in his day and age. There was 613 laws in the Old Testament, and I'm proud of remembering that number. This guy could quote every single one of those 613, not just quote them, not just them, the first five books of the Bible that most of us probably would have a hard time, and it doesn't really matter, remembering he could quote every single word out of every single verse out of those five books of the Bible. So this guy was spiritual, right? And he knew a lot. But Jesus has something to say about this guy. So you have the Pharisee, the good guy, and you have the tax collector. And if the Pharisee was like a pastor, the tax collector doesn't have the best modern equivalent. But he was sort of like a guy during World War II in France that was a Frenchman that after the Germans came in, he started going against his countrymen and collecting taxes and things and taking them away from his own Frenchmen and giving them to the Germans. This guy, he collected taxes from his own people, the Jews, to give to the Romans who were the invaders to help them expand their empire to continue conquering the rest of the world. The guy that you grew up with became probably the guy that you least liked in the world. This guy was hated. He was wealthy because he was corrupt. Tax collectors were notoriously corrupt, right? They would take not just what they needed to give to the Romans, but they would take extra so that they could be rich. They were already hated. You might as well be rich while you're doing it. It's the drug dealer selling drugs to his own neighborhood in order to make himself rich. He was the despised tax collector. They go to the temple to talk to God, and this is what happens. Right? We have the good guy, we have the bad guy, and it doesn't matter if you've heard the story before, you know how it's going to end, right? It's that typical story. It's Luke Skywalker versus Darth Vader, it's Jim and Dwight from The Office, it's Batman and the Joker. We know how the story is going to end, but Jesus likes to surprise us. He says, the Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed this, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. So the Pharisee stood up on his own. And I'm going to come back to this when Jesus contrasts him to the other guy, but he stands up apart on his own, talking about how good he is and what he has done. He was going through the motions of prayer and fasting, but his heart wasn't in the right place, even though he was doing the right things. He, it says, gave his money to God and trusted him, not trusted him with the tithes, but gave them because he was required to give them. Not from a heart of generosity and gratefulness to God, but out of a, ah, this is what I have to do, but I'm following the law, so I'm good. I'm righteous before God. He spent time, right, in God's word. He spent time, it says, fasting and praying, but It wasn't in his heart because he's not like who we're going to see in a minute on his knees before God. He separated himself like I'm not like the tax collector. I'm not like these other people. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a priest in the temple and I'm here before God. Everybody look at me. I'm so great. He somehow goes to see himself as the gift to God. And before we look down at our noses at the Pharisee and recognize, we need to acknowledge and recognize that we're all, at least I am, a little bit like this guy. We all have that Pharisee inside of us at times. And so it goes on to say that there's, it doesn't say this, but so there's spiritual pride and there's just regular pride in life. But spiritual pride has to do with our faith, and too often this is our reality. We do this with sin all the time. See, spiritual pride starts with us. It's about I. He said the word I about four times in there. And too often this is our reality. We compare ourselves to others to make ourselves feel good. We look at that person that is sinning sexually and we say, we're not like them. I don't have that kind of relationship or those people over there. We're not like them. And we forget the truth that we're all sexually broken people. We see the person that's gossiping about these other people in their lives, about this person's love life and that person's love life, and we're not like, oh, we're not like that, but we're not building other people up, and we're not encouraging those in our life, and we're not talking 
correctly about those around us. We're complaining and we're selfish. Look, we could all have our words be more encouraging to others. And spiritual pride says, wow, they are so bad. And we fail to recognize that we're not perfect either. And it doesn't matter about them. God has his own relationship with them. It matters about our relationship with God. And God says, I don't care if you come twice a year to church or are serving there 10 hours a week. If you aren't here out of love for me and because you care about me, it doesn't matter. We need to be here for the right reasons. We need to be worshiping God, serving him for the right reasons. We are all sinners. We are all imperfect. And I shared this when I talked about worship earlier in this series. What God wants is our hearts. And that's good news. It's not bad news. Because God doesn't want us to pretend to be something that we're not. He says, just show me who you are and come as you are. And sometimes that's harder at the beginning. But the good news is it's easier because we don't need to keep on putting a different mask. He wants our true selves. He loves you, the sinner that you are. And he wants is for you to come to him as you are. And to love him as you can. No false faces, no masks, or anything else. And instead of saying, God, thank you so much that I get to be a part of a church where I see you move every single week, the Pharisee is saying, God, you're welcome that I came today. Like, you should be glad I'm here, God. Like, I made it. Like, be, be, be happy for me. I showed up. I'm proud of being here, God. Be grateful that I made it. Instead of, God, thank you for the gift You've given me of all these children that I'm able to raise to be able to follow you, God. You're saying, oh God, you're welcome that I bring them to church. You're welcome that I do this. Because we stop seeing the good things in our life as a gift from God and begin to see ourselves as the gift to God. And spiritual pride promises us a few things. It promises us self-sufficiency, right? It says, I've got it. Spiritual pride says, I've got what it takes. I can do it on my own. I don't need anybody else. Look at what I've accomplished in my life. I got it more going forward. It promises us self-sufficiency. It promises us self-importance as well. It says, I have value. I live in the right neighborhood, or I carry the right clothing with the right label on it. I drive the right car. My kids go to the right school. Maybe I have an important job. I have value. I serve in a leadership position. I have value because I am self-sufficient in what I do. Everybody look at me. And yet spiritual pride is this inward emotion that leads to the outward action of how we behave. I don't know if you've ever had a vehicle that you weren't really proud of. You're like, ah, this thing is falling apart, it's dirty, it smells, like if I'm going to take a girl on a date, I need to borrow some, a friend's car because this is just not going to work. I'm going to maybe, you know, like this is just not going to. Like your prayer life has never been better because you're just driving down the street praying like hunched down, like nobody see me in my car, like I don't, I'm ashamed of what I'm driving right now. You're constantly praying, you're like don't see me, but you know, we get a new car, and you're like, please let me run into people I know. Like, I'm going to take the long way around and maybe I'll run into some of those other neighbors that I don't always see, but like hopefully they'll see me. Maybe I can run into more people. Let me park out front, maybe take the valet at the restaurant with my date so that everybody can see my nice new ride. I remember when I got my first motorcycle, it was new from the dealer, and it was a brand new, it was the first brand new vehicle I'd ever had. And I was really nervous because it was a motorcycle about like dropping it and damaging it. But I finally got the courage to drive it, you know, further than a mile around my house. I finally got the courage to drive it to work one morning. And I remember thinking, oh, I'm so excited for this. Like I hope all my coworkers are in the parking lot so they can see me and I can like rev the engine and take off my helmet and like everybody's going to see. And I hope they see me. I'm not saying that's the right attitude to have or like a good attitude, but it's what happened because what was on the outside and the inside are related. The internal feeling that we have about our situation makes us act differently. If we are ashamed or feel superior, we experience the emotion like the Pharisee and it leads to an outer action that we would not normally be associated with, like comparison. 
We say, would you look at what that lady is wearing? I would never be caught dead in that. Like, why didn't somebody tell her before she left the house? Like, who let her out like that? That's not, like, that's not good. It's easier to have value in ourselves by lifting us up, by pushing others down. It's harder to get up. It's easier to push down. And one of the worst groups at this that I'm unfortunate, well, fortunately, I'm now a part of is parents, right? It's like, hey, hey, I know we're not perfect parents, honey, but like, look at their kids. John and Michelle's kids, they are crazy. They are going to end up in prison one day. They're going to go off the edge as soon as they leave the house if something doesn't change. You know, like, why is it okay for us to do that? Like, why do we think as parents, like, oh, it's, it's easy to say, like, oh, well, at least we're not like that. Because then it makes us feel better about our own parenting. Why? Because we're all insecure about our parenting, or we're all insecure about what we're wearing a little bit. And we know that God has more for us instead. Maybe it's not that thought exactly. Maybe it's fault finding. You're an expert in everybody else's faults. Why? Because it's easier to focus on their faults than allow God to address our own faults in our own life. Maybe it's attention seeking and it's, hey, everybody, look at we're more concerned about how many people like our Instagram post of a Bible verse than we are about allowing God to use that to transform us to become more like Him. Maybe it's, hey, everybody look at me, you know, and I've been a pastor for over 10 years and I certainly don't know everything, but my guess is that most of us maybe don't even just struggle with pride in that I feel like I'm better than everybody else. Most of us, I think, don't think often that we're just killing it in life and we're just so good and we got it all taken care of. I think most of us struggle with the opposite form of pride that we don't always even see as pride. We struggle with reverse pride. We know we don't have it all together and we're not awesome. So we spend so much time and so much energy looking at others and trying to convince everybody else, trying to convince God and trying to convince ourselves that we're okay because we know that we're not perfect. So maybe spiritual pride comes up in comparison or maybe you struggle with this reverse spiritual pride that I just mentioned and it goes like this. I can't receive a compliment with a simple and gracious thank you, but instead have to deflect it with some sarcasm or it's better to be lucky than good or something like that. Maybe it's I could never, like I could never be used by God. Why? Because I'm not that good at anything. He hasn't given me that gift like he's given other people. Or I can never raise my hand in worship because I don't want to draw attention to myself. And again, we're starting with I. We're starting with me. And it's all about me. Or I can never share my faith at work because I don't want to be that super spiritual person that like feels like I'm better than other people. And it's I could never do this. I could never be like that. Maybe the, wow, it's my life is so bad, I deserve better than the person that I'm sitting next to. I deserve better than my kids that they would just don't listen to me. I deserve better, God, I've done better. I deserve better at the job I go to every week. Why do I have this job and they have that job? I work harder than them. I'm more diligent than them. I follow more than them. And it starts with I, I, I. The problem of reverse spiritual pride is that it starts with the same thing as overt spiritual pride. What? It starts with me. And my value is based on what I accomplish and how I compare with everybody, just like it was for the Pharisee. And ultimately, the problem with spiritual pride, whether it's above or reverse spiritual pride, is that when we're full of ourselves, there's no room for God. But the good news is, Jesus is telling this story, and he's got a way out for us. He offers us a better way so that we don't have to experience the fall that comes from pride. So we're going to pick it up in verse 13. Go ahead and throw that up there. It says, But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift his eyes up to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful on me, a sinner. Right? We've already considered the Pharisee, so let's look at the tax collector some distance away. He couldn't even bring himself far into the temple, it says. It says, he couldn't go very far in. He like barely gets there and falls to his knees, crying out to God for mercy. 
Why? Because he knows he's a sinner. And God doesn't intervene in his story. He knows if God doesn't intervene, he knows it's hopeless. He knows he's messed up. And there's no way for him to even get right before God because according to the law, he would have to give everything he took away from people plus 20%, and there's no way that he can do that. It's not even possible for him to get right. His situation is hopeless, so he's on his knees saying, God, I need your mercy. And this is what he says about the prayer in the next verse. He says, I tell you, Jesus says, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. I tell you, this man, not the respected Pharisee, the lowly tax collector, this man went to his house justified and went to his house right before God. You see, when we're full of ourselves, there's no room for God. But when we're humble, when we're on our knees... There's all the room in the world because we know that there's no way for us to get back up without his help. We're in the perfect position to be filled by his grace. And we know we're not perfect, right? Like our world is not perfect. Things don't always work how they're supposed to. And we often live, I think, in this world where we have made it acceptable for certain things. I had a pastor friend of mine say it this way when I a few few uh, weeks ago I was talking with him and he was like I call it right now the age of outrage the age of outrage that we're in this age where it's so acceptable to speak about other people and look down on them and be outraged on what they are doing like it's this age of riding the hype train as much as possible, especially in public and online in front of other people. And then as soon as the train comes to the end and gets derailed, it's, I'm jumping off as soon as possible and talking down on them, talking down on other people. And that is the age that we are in. I've, so, I've seen so many headlines, and I don't even know what's going on. I don't want to know. I've seen so many headlines this week about a trial with Johnny Depp. And I'm like, it does not affect... It does affect some people, but it probably doesn't affect anybody in this room. It probably doesn't affect hardly anybody in our city. Maybe if you're in the legal system, it would affect you one day because of how the trial works out. But for most of us, there's no effect. Yet, how you speak about that can get you fame. It can get you popularity. It can get you... I saw this title this week that said, if you're a YouTube creator and you're speaking about it, your followers are just going up exponentially just by having that in your titles and your headlines. Right? We're in this age of, you know, it's really just a cover for our own brokenness. We're all spiritually broken when we rail against the adulterer or we rail against the person that sinned in this way. It's a way for us to ignore the fact that we, our own self, is spiritually broken and we are sinners ourselves. When we rail against the corrupt politician or the judge or against the political viewpoint, it's covering up for our own insecurities. It covers our own brokenness. And this is what one of the main characters, the Pharisee, does in this story. He rails against the tax collector because it makes him feel good about himself. And God is saying, get it out of my house. I can't stand this. I can't stand that the Pharisee would come into my house, and that's what the temple is, that's what the church is. I can't stand that he would come in here and look down on other people. See, some of us, we're spiritually critical, and God is calling that out. He's saying, you're like, you think you're a good Christian, and I'm just struggling through life, but you are worldly critical. You're critical of all those around you, and Jesus is saying, I came to undo this. It's not about comparing you to them. It's about God. It's not about you to them. It's about you and God, and that's all that matters. I pulled up YouTube even as I was prepping this message because I wanted to check one of our past videos from this sermon. I wanted to see, what did I say exactly about that? So I pulled up YouTube to our page to look, and I just, all of these, on my homepage, all of these videos, I don't know why YouTube thinks I would want to watch this, I've never watched a video like this, but all these videos about um, people, like, one of the headlines was uh, somebody criticizing a pastor and the guest preacher that came to their church, 
And I'm like, why would I want to watch this? It's not helpful, but in our culture, it's normal. And in our culture, we like to talk about other people because if we talk about what they're doing and how it's not right, we can feel good about ourselves. And there's problems, yes, in some of our churches around our country and in our world. And it saddens my heart because I know that God is saddened by some of the things that have happened and some of the problems that have taken place. But God loves them and he cares about them and he wants healing for them and he wants life for them and he cares about them. But he, what he cares about as well is me. And what he wants for me is for me to focus on me and him and just my relationship with him. And I don't ever want our church, even we've talked a lot about this as a team, I don't ever church to ever be that way where, you know, we don't agree with every other church around, but we try to build up as many churches around us as possible. We help other churches even in San Jose. Um, we helped one get started last year. We, we sow into what God is doing in his bigger church because we want to build that up, not tear it down, not say what we're doing is so much better than what they're doing. We want to say, God, what you're doing is so much better than what I'm doing. And I'm so grateful, God, to be a part of what you are doing. And we need to, for a minute sometimes, focus on ourselves as the tax collector did. And as I wrote that thought down this week to put in my notes, like every part of that sentence felt wrong to write. We need to focus on ourselves as the tax collector did. It just feels wrong because we're focusing on ourselves. Like, right? We're not supposed to focus on ourselves. We're supposed to focus on others. But when it comes to our relationship with God, we do need to focus on ourselves. And it feels wrong to elevate the tax collector up as doing right. And now he did wrong things in parts of his life. And Jesus wasn't condoning that, saying he should keep going on and stealing from his people. But what Jesus said was the tax collector was right because he came before God and he knew that he was a sinner. He knew he was broken. He fell to his knees and said, God, here I am. Right? Like, this is where he was. And we know it's a humble position because we know, sorry, some of you can't see me that well right now, but we know that here it's not about me because I'm on the ground. Less people can see me. We know in worship when we do that, that maybe some people do see me and I feel a little bit awkward, but then we know it's about our relationship with God because not everybody is, you know, like, ooh, look at that person. They're on their knees. Well, that person on their knees is right before God right now. They're just sharing with him. And Jesus is saying those Pharisees of you in the room, those Pharisees in the world, you're criticizing what others say and do, but we often are those same Pharisees. The act of talking about others makes you the Pharisee. In church, we need to focus on ourselves. Let my focus be on my life and on God. And Jesus, the good news, and I get to the good news. Sorry if you were just depressed for this part of my message. But, you know, sometimes I need to get us to that place of a little depressed and like, oh man, pastor's like, like making me realize how I'm not perfect. Yes, but I, I want to get our church that way, not, not I want to every week, but sometimes I need to get us that, to that place so that you're ready for Jesus to lift you up. Because until we're on our knees, there's no way for him to lift us up. We're already way up here. That Pharisee's already up, standing up tall, separated from everybody else, and Jesus is like, there's nowhere for me to bring you to, dude. You're already higher than you're supposed to be. So we need to get on our knees so that Jesus can lift us up. And this stuck out to me this week as I was looking at this verse there was a word that stuck out to me and it's the word in this passage where the tax collector says God I need your mercy and it stuck out to me that Jesus used this word for mercy here because it's not the normal word for mercy I you know I'm not like some super fancy person that like knows and like I don't read my Bible in Greek so you all don't worry if you don't either like it's okay I don't either and I'm the pastor and I learned it in school but I do have some cool software so I could click on the word and it told me what it meant and I, I was like this is weird why did Jesus use this word and what stuck out to me is the the tax collectors on his knees saying God give me your mercy I need to be right with you that's this word I need to be covered by your mercy so that I'm right and what stuck out to me was there's this fancy word called propitiation that some of the New Testament writers use. 
And these words are linked together in the Greek. And what it says is that what Jesus did is he was the propitiation for us. The mercy that the tax collector needed was given by Jesus on the cross. Paul said it this way in Romans. He said, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace, Jesus' grace, as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood and be, to be received by faith. And this is the good news. The thing that the tax collector was just praying for, God, give me your mercy, has been provided for us. We live in this world post-Jesus where it's been given. The, the relationship with God was restored through the work that Jesus Christ did, living his life that was a perfect life, dying on the cross for us when he didn't deserve it, and raised to new life three days later. And so you and me, who are prideful, at least I am, I think we all are, have hope because of what Jesus did. That God doesn't see us once we get down to our knees. It's not this hope, God, would you look on me with favor, God. It's we get down on our knees and we know that God accepts us. We know that the mercy is ours to be had. We're in the perfect position when we get down on our knees to be filled up by God's grace. He wants to give you hope today. He wants to give you hope this week. And when you get down on your knees, we're in the perfect position to be filled up by his grace. And pride, pride is never a good thing. But I know that this is probably one of the number one sins I've struggled with in my life. Now the good news for you today, the bad news is I still struggle with it. The good news is it's way better than it was. Most of you would never know that I struggle with it. Because God has done this work in my life. I heard another pastor this week describe it as like pride is like an onion. Like God will just take layer after layer after layer. And if you ever cut an onion, you'll know that those outer layers are pretty thick. And you don't want to eat them. And you get through the skin and then the next layer is not really that great either. It doesn't cook up that well. But the more you get, the smaller those layers are and the easier it is for God to undo them. And I've got to this place where I'm in a different place now because God has dealt with a lot of the pride in my life. And I know that when I was younger, I was not a person you wanted to be around because honestly, I was just sometimes a horrible person. And the reason was because I was very prideful. But God began to rip this root out over my life. One layer was when I started college, it opened my eyes to how prideful I was. And then I went overseas and did missions work and he took another layer off the onion. And then I went to the East Coast and he took another layer off the onion. And then the final big layer he took off was when I finished grad school. And some of you, many of you have heard part of the story, but I finished grad school and I was ready to become a, a, a pastor. And I was just like the Pharisee. I thought, God, I deserve more from you now. And what began a three-year journey of God undoing that huge layer of pride in my life of saying, God, I've done so much for you, now I deserve this in return. And what I had to learn was God doesn't, I don't deserve anything from him. I'm just grateful to have gotten the mercy I have from Jesus. And every time I get to serve him, when I get to stand up here right now and preach to you, man, that is a blessing that I don't deserve. And I'm grateful to be here versus thinking that I deserve it because of everything I've done for God. I don't know where you're at in your life, but when I learned that, it was me literally on the floor in the back of a restaurant covered in food slime in the dishwasher area where all the, you know, that's, that area gets the dishes clean, but it's not a clean area, unfortunately. I've seen behind the curtain. And I was there under the, on the floor and I was just like, God, like I deserve better than this. I've given up so much for you. And God changed my heart and he said, stop being so prideful. It's not about you. It's about what I want to do in your life and those around you. And I had to realize, God, thank you for putting me here. I get to share love with your coworkers who need you. I get to help business owners and managers who need you. I get to love my friends. I get to serve in your church as a volunteer in the parking lot, even if I have a master's degree in pastoring and preaching. It's okay, God. I'm here doing what you're called for me to do. And I'm just grateful that I get to do what I get to do. And God, whatever you want for me is better. And whatever you have for me, whatever you want to give me is better than I deserve. Because I'm a sinner, God, and I need help. And I want to say thank you, God, that I'm here. 
Some of you are at church today and you're feeling like, hey, there's a problem and I don't know how to fix it and it's exhausting that I don't know how to fix it. Maybe it's your adult child who you're going, man, we did the best we could with them, but compared and like better than the other parents around us, we did a pretty good job, but that child is in a place I would never want them to be and I don't know how to fix it. Or you woke up this morning in a financial situation that you don't know how to get yourself out of and you don't know how to fix it. You maybe don't even fully know how you got there. Maybe it's the relationship you're in and you're saying, forget making it great. I don't even know how to make this relationship work right now. I don't know how to fix it. And if you've ever been in that situation, situation, it's isolating, it's depressing, it's maddening, it's frustrating. And God is saying to you, I've already done enough for you. And I have good things for you, but he's saying, take a look and get down on your knees. And it's time to say, God, you've already done for me more than I deserve. You've done more than I can earn because without you, my situation is hopeless. And what God did in that period of my life, I don't ever want to go back through again because peeling an onion is painful. But I wouldn't trade it for anything either because I couldn't be here right now if it wasn't for that. And that story is so important even because so many in our church are in life situations like I was in right? We need to live by humility and because we need to empty ourselves so that we're in a position to receive God's grace to lift us up. And we're in the perfect position then, just as I was, to be used by God. Because when you humble yourself before God and you empty yourself, you're not operating out of a position of weakness as we would see for the tax collector. Instead, we're just operating out of a position of humility. Humility is the opposite of pride. And humility is a position of strength. It's not that my name would be great. It's not that I would be lifted up. It's that God yours would. Through Jesus Christ, that your name, God, would be lifted up. He is enough for me. Whether he uses me in some supernatural, miraculous, special way in front of a lot of people, or I'm just over here doing what God has called me to, living out my purpose— It doesn't matter. We're grateful either way because God has done so much. I'm doing my best. I'm going home. I'm loving my spouse. I'm loving my children or just loving my friends. Maybe I'm single and I'm just doing what I'm called to do, God. It's more than I deserve already. And my confidence and my position that I'm in is because of what Christ has done and not what God has done. And God wants to equip you to lift his name up. And you're going, okay, that's awesome that you went through that preacher, but I'm, not a, I'm never going to be a preacher. And that's okay, because there's no just in the kingdom of God, and that's what I had to learn when I was on the floor under the dishwasher. I had to learn that in God's kingdom there is no just. There's no just fixing a dishwasher. There's no just being a salesman. There's no just being a construction worker. There's no just being, you know, uh, working at the store. I've done all those things, but there's a purpose in each of them. And whether you do them for a season or you do them for the rest of your life, God has a purpose for you. Maybe you're a stay-at-home parent, right? And you think, I'm just a stay-at-home parent. And there's no just doubt. See, he's equipped you and he's called you and God is going to be glorified through you. He's given you the gift of those children so that you can raise them in a way to love God. And you can raise them in a way that nobody else in this world can raise them because you're called as their parent. And he's going to change the lives of maybe even others because of what you do through those kids. And Jesus Christ is going to be lifted up through you. Austin, that's awesome, but I'm just a construction worker. There's no such thing as just in the kingdom of God. You are placed on a missions field. I was a construction worker for like six months of my life. And you get to show the love of Jesus to people that you never would in other situations that I won't get to probably for the rest of my life because I'm not in that field anymore. But I still pray for, I still meet with, I'm still asking God to bring salvation to one of my former co-workers in the construction field. And you have an opportunity that nobody else has. And then on Sundays, maybe you're going to come here and you're going to show a group of elementary kids what it's like to be a man or a woman full of the love of Jesus. And you show them what it's like to live a life like that. Pride is about my glory. Pride is about making my name great. But humility, humility is about God's glory. Humility is about God's glory. So how do we do that? How do we empty ourselves before God? There are many different ways we can choose to empty ourselves before God. 
One of those that I'm going to give us a moment to do, practice even later in the service, is confession. Confession is a great way. So we empty ourselves, just like the tax collector saying, I'm not perfect. I've screwed up, God. These are the ways I've screwed up. I want to ask for forgiveness. I don't want to keep screwing up this way. Be honest and let God forgive those areas of your life. Serving others is a great way to bring humility because it, you know, if Jesus could wash the feet of others, it's the example of humility for us. It cares for those in need around us and says we're not better than them. I don't, it doesn't matter what choices they've made, right? Sometimes we think, well, like if I would never be in that situation, so I made other choices, so I'm okay over here. But humility says I'm going to serve with love because that God loves them. I'm going to give you one question to ask as I um, start to wrap up here. And the question to ask when you're experiencing inward motions that lead to pride and the external actions around us is this question. Is what I'm doing lifting up the name of God and giving glory to Him? Or is it lifting up my name and giving glory to me? Is it lifting up God's name or is it lifting up my name and giving glory to me? I'll invite the band back up here and this week I want to invite you to ask that question. When you're in a situation, is this bringing glory to me or glory to God? And sometimes we'll take the like to the extreme, like we need to back up so that we can see. And I know that for me, as a religious leader, just like the Pharisee, this is something I have to do time and time again in my life. And I have to say, you know what, I'm going to step back. I'm going to lift other people up. Like, maybe God even put me here, but I'm going to just get down on my knees and lift somebody else up because that's the way that Jesus showed for me. And I want to encourage us to do that this week. How are the ways you can lift up other people in your family, in your workplace, in your friends, wherever you're at, in your school maybe, wherever you are, how can you lift up others? And it doesn't, and maybe you even in the world's eyes deserve the position you got, the position of authority or leadership or wherever, whatever it is. And God is saying, even if you deserve it in the world's eyes, my way is better. My way is getting down on your knees and lifting others up. Is it about me or is it about God? Is it about me doing what God asks and God better bless me because because of it or about me grateful to get to do whatever God will let me do for his kingdom? Every week when I'm in the right frame of mind and stand up here, the right frame of mind for me is, God, I'm grateful that I get to do this. doesn't matter how many people are in the room. I'm just grateful to be here. Because this is an opportunity that you've given me and I don't deserve it. Because none of us would deserve it. Nobody does. Pride promises freedom through being enough, but it delivers a prison of unattainable goals. Let me say that again. Pride promises you freedom through being enough, but it delivers a prison of unattainable goals. And humility offers the freedom that you cannot experience outside of Jesus Christ. Is this about my glory or is this about God's glory? And I'm not speaking today as one who has it all together, but God has been peeling the onion back and the closer I get to the center, the more like Jesus I am and the more freedom I experience in my life. I don't ever want to go back to how my life was before because there was not freedom. It was this prison of comparing myself to others. And what God wants for you is the freedom of saying I'm not perfect. But you know what? I'm a beloved child of God. And what Jesus said in Matthew is that our call along this question that I just gave to you is, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. That light is not your own light that you're powering yourself. That light is reflecting the light of God. And these are Jesus' words to us. So I want to invite you this week to lift up God's light. As we finish our service, I want to invite us to respond in humility as the tax collector did. So to start, I want to invite you guys to bow your heads and pray with me. We're going to pray today, but before we pray, I know that there's some of us here that God has looked at you this morning and spoken into your heart, and he's telling you there's an area of your life where you have been lifting yourself up, where you've been prideful, 
even finding fault in others, or I, I could never do this, God. Maybe it's the reverse spiritual pride. And God is saying, I want to peel back a layer of that pride today. So if you came to church and you realize, you know what, there's an area of my life where I'm experiencing spiritual pride, and God, I want you to peel that back today so that I can empty myself before you, God, and be lifted up in your mercy, God. I want to get rid of this pride in my life. I want to invite you as we pray here to lift up your hand. My hand's up because I still have some pride in my life and I still want God to to take it away from me. But just to raise your hand as I pray for us and say, God, I want you to take some of my pride away. I want you to peel this back. And I want more in my life. I want more of you, less of me and more of you. So God, we just pray for that. We pray for less of me and more of you. I pray that there are some on our knees moments this week that even in the world's eyes we deserve what we were going to do. We say we're going to step back in humility, wash the feet of another because that's what you did, Jesus. And you did for us when we didn't deserve it. That you would meet us as we're on our knees, Jesus, to lift us up because you have a purpose for each and every one of us. I pray that you would make that purpose more clear to us this week and that you would lift us up to give us greater positions of influence and authority, not because we are greater, but because you are greater and we are learning to be more humble and learning to rely more on you. We're not looking down on others, but that we're looking up at them from our knees and that we look at them as you look at them, God. So would you, in our church, God, bring humility this week. Would you bring only the grace that can be had when we're down on our knees saying, God, we're not perfect. And some of you are here and you know that you're not perfect. You came today maybe feeling like the tax collector, maybe you felt like the Pharisee, like look at what I've accomplished and I don't need, and you realize I need more of you, God. I need more of you, Jesus. We know, we realize, hey, we're separated from Jesus because of our sins. And so some of you this morning, Jesus is saying the tax collector prayed for what he could only hope for, and I've already given it. You just need to accept it. And so for those of you that want to accept that this morning, I want to invite everybody in our church to pray these words out loud after me so that nobody would pray alone here this morning. And if you want to put your hope and your faith, your trust in Jesus, maybe for the very first time ever, God is saying, as soon as you get down on your knees and say, I want you, and say, I'm not perfect, but I need you, God, Jesus is saying, I will meet you in that place, and I did more than enough on the cross. You are forgiven. So would everybody repeat these words after me so that nobody prays alone? God, thank you for sending Jesus. I believe he lived. I believe he died for my sins. I believe he rose to new life. I commit to live for Jesus. Amen. 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 Anybody has their hands up, you can put it down. And before we respond with a couple additional worship songs, I want to guide you to respond to this message in a few different ways this week. I want to share a few things. Even I was reflecting on the Pharisee. See, he did a few things right, just in the wrong way. He did things for, he did good things or for good things, but not from mercy, not from accepting what God did, not from that heart of God, I trust you. So today, as we respond with some more worship, I want to invite you to respond. The first way to respond is through your giving. God has given you so much in your life, whether you think it's a lot or a little, he's given you an abundance, and he invites us to trust him with that. So if you want to give today, you can do that online or at the boxes by the doors, but I want to invite you to give from this heart of gratitude that we get to be a part of what God is doing in this city and this world and this gratitude of what he has done for me. Second, I want to invite some of you to talk to me after after service and just use this time to even feel like, hey, maybe God's speaking to me and let the Holy Spirit, I hope that he speaks during this time of these songs. Some of you have never been baptized with water. And that's the first thing Jesus asked us to do when we choose to follow him. And I want to invite you to take that step. I'm talking about it now because the number one reason I see people not take that step is pride. It's either pride of 
the fear of what other people will think about, maybe it's getting wet or whatever it might be in front of other people. And so you've got that reverse spiritual pride or it's the pride of God of saying, God, I, I, like, I don't need that. Like, I'm going to trust you, but I don't, I'm not, not that much. And so I want to invite some of you, talk to me after service, send me an email, reach out in some way. Even if you have questions, I'd love to talk with you more. But I want to, I've been praying that our church would hold our first baptisms this summer. And so I want to invite you to be a part of that, that we could see some people go public with their faith in baptism. And lastly, um, besides singing and we're just worshiping God, um, I want to invite us to take communion together. You can do it at any point during these next two songs that we're going to sing together. There's spots up here on both sides. Um, the cup and the little bread is on top. Um, and anybody that accepts Jesus as their Savior can partake in communion. That's the only requirement we have here at this church. And even as I mentioned before, traditionally one of the things the church has done before communion is confession. And so it's a chance before you take it to get right before God. If there's anything you need to say, God, I messed up. Like, I know I wasn't perfect this week, so it's a chance for me to say, God, these are the ways that I wasn't perfect and I screwed up. I want you to take the sin out of my life and I want to follow you. And the good news is communion remi reminds us that God's mercy meets us in that place and he is more than enough. And as we take the cup and the bread and we remember Jesus' body broken and his blood shed for us, we remember that we are forgiven and that he has raised us up and we don't need to stay on our knees forever. So I want to invite you, you can respond in giving, respond in just praying about baptism, respond in communion, and just respond in worship with us. Um, this song is going to start out. It's a little harder to sing along, so it's a great chance for you to just reflect a little bit and meet with God in this place. But I want to even encourage some of you. We got enough room here. Some of you maybe need to get down on your knees and worship and meet God as the tax collector did. And if you respond with humility of saying, I'm going to do it, God, I'm going to get on my knees. Some of you have seen me maybe during worship. Sometimes I'm up here on my knees, not because I don't want to be seen in the front row, but because that's where God meets us sometimes most clearly. So just respond however God leads during these songs, and may this be a place where the Spirit would meet us. I want to pray actually one more time before we get into that. God, I pray that your Spirit would meet us in this place right now. I pray that however we need to be met, God, that you would meet us. Lord, for each person that humbles themselves this morning, God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would just raise them up and that they would leave this place knowing that they are forgiven in you, Jesus. That they would leave this place knowing that you have life for them, that you have a purpose for them. Lord, in whatever is in their life, Lord, you are moving. And so I pray that as they reflect, as they confess, Lord, as I do, as we do this together, and God, I pray that at the end, Lord, may we just be filled with your joy. May we be filled with your peace, knowing that your mercy is more than enough and your grace is even greater than that. So God, may you move in this place. Holy Spirit, we invite you in. We pray that you would just be in this moment, that it would be a holy moment before you, that your presence would just fill this church, God. Amen.